0: Following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, let's um, let's pray as we begin as we turn to God's word this morning. Father, we thank you so much for just the wonder and uh, truth and reality of of the resurrection, of the empty tomb, of what you have done to give us life. Uh, Lord, we come today to celebrate uh, with all of our heart and with all of our passion, uh, your great love for us and your power over sin and death. We ask, Lord, that even now as we turn to your word, that uh, your word would speak to us, uh, that you would uh, reveal to us yourself, your truth, and the wonder of your resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to be looking this morning at one of my favorite um, accounts uh, after the resurrection uh, in John chapter 21. Uh, It's interesting, there's uh, actually very little uh, about Jesus' birth, but there's uh, an incredible amount of Detail about what happens after Jesus rose from the dead. And um, this is one of his appearances after the resurrection. We don't know exactly when, but let's read as we uh, look at this account from John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas the twin called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee the son of Zebedee the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together Simon P- Peter said to them I am going fishing they said to him we will go with you they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing just as day was breaking Jesus stood on the shore Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And now, and this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, by the way, I should say before we get into the word real quick, uh, thanks to Kate for uh, her wonderful job this morning doing the monologue, but also she's the one who painted all the pictures for the Lent thing, so did just an awesome job with that. And uh, thanks to uh, the Stobb family for bringing them and putting them up every week. And <laughs> so thank you guys for all of that. Um, you know, it's funny how life changes as you get older. And uh, as you get old, which I'm getting close to. <laughs> uh, and when I think back, when I was a kid, uh, I, I would look at really old people who were like 50. Right? And I, I couldn't imagine them as anything but old. Right? Have you ever had that experience? I remember uh, I would look at pictures of my mom. And when, when I was a kid, my mom had me when she was pretty young. And so she was still in her 30s, really quite young. But I, I'd see pictures of her. And I just couldn't comprehend that that was the same person. It's like, you no, know, that I can't possibly be her. Because my mom could have never actually been a kid. Right? I just could only picture her as this adult person. Um, but it's funny, as, as I am now a very old person who's well over 50, um, I look at, at old people that I've known for most of my life, you know, that I've known since I was a kid, and now the exact opposite thing is true. No matter how old and fat and bald and wrinkled they've become, uh, they're still, to me, the exact same person they were 40 years ago. Have that experience? I look at them and I don't see how their body has morphed in shape. What I see is the person I knew when they were 15 years old. Uh, And it's true that some of us do not age so well. Some age better than others. But some people, their bodies really do go through an amazing transformation, right? As they add uh, all those extra years and uh, all that extra wear and tear. And it's hard to imagine that the body you see in front of you is the same body that they had when they were 20, right? Um, And yet... If you've known them all along, you realize how very little they've actually changed. Uh, The way they say things, the way they move, their mannerisms, the quirky things that make them who they are, are the same. And it's really remarkable how little people really change if we've known them their whole life. Uh, The cover may change, but the content of the person stays amazingly the same. Now, of course... Uh, I acknowledge that people do, some people anyway, do grow up and mature, others not so much, but most of us do grow up and mature. Uh, I'm not talking about when when we meet Christ and the life-transforming thing that happens through the work of the gospel in our life, that that in many ways makes us into a new and different person. Um, But what I'm talking about is the, the personality and the character that make us uniquely who we are as a person. Uh, even through the change of, of coming to Christ, we retain our personality and our, our personhood and who we are uh, our whole life. So, so here's the question: Is today we celebrate? We think about the resurrection. We think about Jesus coming back from the dead, right? Um, what, what what will happen to us when we experience the resurrection? Uh, on that day when we rise from the dead and we're given a whole new body, uh, or if we happen to be fortunate enough to live when Jesus returns and we skip death altogether and just go straight to the new body, right? how will the resurrection change us? Or will it? And as we think today about Jesus' own resurrection, it's a very relevant question because um, as the disciples... And, and as, as Kate showed, you know, there's this new reality. The Jesus they knew, the Jesus they saw crucified, the, the Jesus that they walked and talked and lived with is now the resurrected Lord. And he'd revealed himself to them a few times. Uh, and in those, in those times, it was clear that he was resurrected in a very new and different way than, for example, Lazarus had been. Uh, they had seen Lazarus rise from the dead, but Lazarus got a body that was still... Just an earthly body. But as Jesus has revealed himself to them now several times, it's clear that Jesus is not like them. Right? They are in locked rooms, doors bolted shut, and Jesus seemingly walks through solid walls and, and bolted doors to appear to them. He comes and goes, and he appears and disappears at will. Right? Uh, this is a very different kind of resurrected body. Um, and And so... Uh, I can imagine, and and, and we kind of get glimpses of this in this in this story here, that the disciples are a little unsure about how they're how they relate to Jesus, right? How who who is Jesus now that he's risen again, right? How has he changed? Um, before Jesus was to them so human, right? He was so much just a person. Uh, even though he had been teaching them all along that he was the Son of God, sent from the Father, eternal God. But for them, he was very human. Uh, so much so that he could say, that, that they could say some quite ridiculous things to Jesus. Right in his lifetime, think about some of the stuff they said to him. Uh, the, the mother of James and John came and asked Jesus, Can my two sons sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom? Okay, but that's something they would ask him after the resurrection? Maybe not. Um, uh, Peter says to Jesus before the cross, Jesus, don't be talking about dying around us. Right? We don't have room for that kind of doom and gloom talk around here. Right? Would, G- would Peter say that after the resurrection? Maybe not. Um, um, when Jesus is in his hometown, they say to him, Jesus, uh, Jesus we know your mom and your dad. Right? We know your family. Who do you think you are teaching us? Right? may not have said that after the resurrection. Uh, speaking of his mom and dad, my favorite. Son, what are you doing getting left behind like that? Right? What are you doing to us? Maybe they wouldn't have said that to him after the resurrection. Right? Jesus is different. Jesus. Um, How will they relate to him? How do they think about him as the resurrected Lord who's ascending to his Father and who will be seated at the right hand of the throne of God in glory in heaven? Um, It's an important question, and it's uh, it's not just an idle curiosity, but it has everything to do with how we think about Jesus and how we relate to him. Uh, and certainly, that was on the mind, I believe, of the disciples. How are they going to relate to and think about Jesus, uh, who's now just blown away every category that they had about him? Right? How do they approach him? Well, this story speaks very much, uh, very much to that. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a very unique time in all of the New Testament. Right? It's the period between Jesus' res- resurrection and Pentecost. And so for the disciples, it was a unique 40-day period, 40, 50-day period, uh, when Jesus was no longer living with them every day. They were no longer walking and talking and, and having him a part of their everyday life. Right? He's now risen. He's not around all the time. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, hasn't come yet. So they're living in this in-between time, And Jesus had given them a mission to do. They were to go out and be his witnesses to make disciples of all the nations. But he instructed them clearly they weren't to start on this mission until uh, he sent to them the Holy Spirit. So he said to them to wait uh, uh, for him in in Galilee and that he would show up and that he would do something significant uh, and pour out his spirit. He would give them power to fulfill this mission. So they're uh, waiting In this this period, just waiting, doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, which was nothing, right? Um, And waiting is always an act of faith. How many of you love waiting? (laughs) Right, nobody loves waiting. Uh, It always tests us, and it always is, uh, um, when we do it well, it's an act of faith. It is being still and looking uh, for God to show up. And that's what they were doing, being still, looking for God to show up. Uh, but, but waiting doesn't necessarily mean wasting time either. Waiting doesn't mean they had to be idle or lazy or unproductive. And I think uh, waiting was difficult for Peter. Um, and so he's doing what Jesus told him to, but he decided, I'm not going to sit around and waste time. Let's go fishing. Right? Uh, he wasn't abandoning Jesus' call. He wasn't giving up on Jesus, but he was making good use of the time. Um, it was, had the potential to provide breakfast, uh, maybe some income if they had a really good day fishing, and at the very least, it would be meaningful work or perhaps enjoyable recreation. Sometimes with guys, it's hard to know which is which, right? Like work, play, kind of gets, it's all the same thing, right? Uh, that's one of the things that I think confuses girls about guys. Are you working or are you playing? Well, yes, right? So that's Peter. Let's go fishing. And so uh, with him are several uh, others. Um, Thomas, uh, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. So they they decided to go fishing. Uh, But it says that after being out all night, they caught nothing. Uh, One commentator has noted that in the Gospels, the disciples never once catch fish without Jesus' help. Okay. and, and, and this proves true, true in this event as well. Um, so not catching fish, of course, is, uh, if you've ever fished, if you've ever uh, tried to engage in that work, um, it is, it's disappointing when you don't get anything, right? It's disappointing, especially when you spent uh, your whole night at it. Right? And nobody goes out in the middle of the night with the goal of just getting some fresh air. You know, they weren't by morning saying, "Well, that's okay, because we just got out in nature." I don't think so. They're thinking, "No, man, we spent our whole night and not one single fish." Uh, and I'm sure that after fishing all night, they were very tired, very hungry, and had nothing to show for their effort and nothing to make for breakfast. This is a bad day. Um, certainly not the first time this had probably ever happened to them. Uh, clearly, in many other instances, Jesus helped them out, and they had. Experience the same thing, and it's kind of the nature of chasing after wild creatures that you're trying to eat. They don't always cooperate. Um, so what's, what's fascinating is it's this exact time that Jesus chooses to reveal Himself, right? Uh, of the 50 days between the resurrection and and uh, Pentecost, we don't know where this falls, but it's. It's, 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 it's important, it's significant, that Jesus picks this exact time to show up and reveal himself to them. And and it is a revelation. In, in verse 1 it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. It's not just an appearing, right? There are other times when Jesus showed up and he appeared to demonstrate that he was alive, that he had come back from the dead. But but. Uh, John uses the word here, revelation, and, and throughout the book of John, this word is used of Jesus revealing the Father through the signs and miracles that he did. It was, it was Jesus showing them the nature and character of God the Father. And so here, uh, Jesus is just not appearing, but he is revealing to them something of his character and nature as the resurrected Lord. Uh, and it says that it was just as, as day was breaking, uh, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Uh, Jesus is standing on the shore as the sun's coming up, as it's getting daylight. And and they're able to see to the shore, and Jesus is able to see uh, out onto the sea. And Jesus is watching them. So how long had Jesus been standing there watching them? Well, we don't know. It doesn't say. But at least long enough to build a fire and cook breakfast. He'd been there for a little while watching them. Uh, but, but, of course, the, the real truth is that Jesus had always been there all night long watching them. In fact, Jesus had never left them. Uh, he had promised that he would always be with them. In John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then down in verse 30, 23, John 14:23, he says this, uh, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. But Jesus assures them that he will always be with them. And certainly this night, Jesus had been watching them the whole night. Right? Even before, when Peter was bored and lonely and sitting at home trying to wait impatiently, Jesus had been watching. Now, it's very interesting in this passage, the, the people that get named, Right? Uh, he, John, who's the author here, names Thomas and Nathaniel along with with uh, Peter, but then he just says, "Oh no, there are two other dudes." He doesn't even bother naming them, right? Uh, it's very interesting who he names and who he doesn't name, and the reason that's interesting is that Nathaniel is not one of the major disciples. In fact, he's only mentioned one other time in the whole Gospel of John, and it's at the very beginning, uh, when Na- when Nathaniel first meets Jesus and Jesus. Uh, at that time, calls him by name. And, and Nathanael is shocked and he asks he asked Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael is blown away by this revelation. He's like, wow, you truly must be the Messiah because you saw me when nobody else did. Right? Uh, same thing's true of Thomas. Thomas is also an example of Jesus watching over us when not visibly present with us. You remember, just in the passage right before this in John, uh, Jesus had appeared to the the disciples in, in the upper room, uh, right after uh, the, the first Sunday, the first day of resurrection. And if you remember, Thomas was not there. Like of all the times to be absent, like this is the worst. Poor Thomas, right? All the disciples see Jesus, Thomas does not. And what does Thomas say? Well, that's okay, I believe anyway. No. Thomas says, unless I can put my finger in his scar, and I can put my hand in the wound in his side, I will not believe. Okay, here's one stubborn dude. Okay? Stubborn guy. And so the next Sunday, eight days later, Jesus shows up. Same room, same group of people. And this time, Thomas is present. And what does Jesus say to Thomas? Hey, Thomas, come put your finger in my hand. Thomas, come put your hand in my side and see that it is me and believe. Right? Jesus had been watching. Jesus knew everything that Thomas said. Right? He was watching. And of course, the third person named is Peter himself. Uh, Jesus saw Peter denying that he ever knew Jesus even before it happened, right? And he said, "Peter, you're going to deny me three times." Um, so the point is this: Jesus was Jesus was watching over them before he went to the cross. How much more is He watching over them now that He's the glorified, resurrected Lord? Right? And it's true for us as well. He was watching them, but He watches us. All right? He saw. Peter, when he was bored and restless, struggling with the task of waiting, he was watching as they fished through the night without catching a single fish. He saw how hungry and tired they were uh, and probably how frustrated they may have been at uh, at failing in their effort of catching fish. Um, Jesus had been watching. Of course, not only was he watching them all along, but he knew what they were going through and what they were feeling. Uh, And I think, it's again, it's so significant that this is when he decides to show up and meet them, to reveal himself to them in a time of of need, right? A time when they were starving for breakfast. Uh, But it's interesting, as, 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 as needy, as genuine as their need probably was at this time, I find it really cool that Jesus showed up at a time that wasn't actually all that critically important. Right? They weren't going to starve to death. Uh, they would have gone and found breakfast somewhere. Um, they weren't doing anything at, at this time that was all that essential. Right? Nobody made them stay up all night fishing. Jesus could have said, well, it's your own s- 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 dumb idea, right? Well, I'm not going to help you out now. But no, that's not what He does. Jesus shows up at this time It's not some vital ministry hour, right? It is not some event that's going to change the course of history. He shows up at one of the most ordinary everyday moments of just doing life. And I think that is so incredibly important for us. Right? Jesus does not watch over you just when you're doing something spiritual or hugely important. Jesus is watching over you all the time. All the affairs of life matter to Jesus, and he is there watching and caring about you all the time. He understands all that you go through. Um, He comes to them at daybreak after a night of fruitless fishing, revealing to them that he sees and he understands what they're going through all the time. All the time even when what they're going through is not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. And that's true for us as well. So as we, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Right? That's what Jesus is revealing to them in this moment. Um, that he is watching over them and he understands exactly what they're going through. Uh, But he reveals something else. And and he reveals uh, to them, not only that he's watching, but that he's taking care of them. And he's helping them. He's there to to not just watch from a distance and feel for them, but actually do something to help. of course, the first way he helps is he helps them catch fish. Uh, Now, I, I will say that there's been many times, I can't even count, when I've been fishing and not catching anything. And this exact passage has come up to me, and I still never caught anything. So I don't know that this is a promise. But I think it's important that Jesus does help them catch fish. Right? He shows up, and it says, uh, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Right? When, you, when, you, when you haven't caught anything, that's the worst question to ask a fisherman. Have you caught anything? They grumble back, No. Right. And Jesus does what all people from the beast do. They give advice. Right. Well, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Don't you know, no wonder. Right. And so he says, you know, try the right side of the boat. Now, why did these guys even listen? I think they listen for the same reason I do to prove them wrong. It's like, well, we'll show this idiot. Right. That there's no more fish on that side than there are on this side. But what does he do? They, they throw it out, and instantly, instantly, there are so many fish in the net, they cannot haul it into the boat. Later, uh, they count them, and it turns out to be 153 fish. And not little fish, they were big fish. Um, Jesus uh, meets them in their time of need. Again, not urgent need, but he shows up and he helps them. And he provides. And he provides with incredible abundance. And he reveals to them that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is still the Son of God who has power over all creation. And has the power to provide and care for them abundantly. Um, but, but not only does he help them in that way, he helps them in another way that I find to be even more fascinating. Um, he, he not only does the spectacular, but he does the very ordinary uh, it's not a surprise, of course, that he could help them catch a boatload of fish. He'd done that before and he still has that power uh, available to him. What I find even more surprising is that, um, that there's nothing really beyond catching the fish, there's nothing spectacular about the way Jesus shows up. But there's nothing remarkable other than, other than the, the huge catch of fish. But there's there's nothing unusual about this scene. He does not magically appear this time in a locked room. He does not walk on water, which would have been kind of a no-brainer on this one. I mean, he's the resurrected Jesus. If he could walk on water before, why doesn't he just go out and get in the boat with him? That would have been cool. He doesn't do that. He's not hovering over them in the clouds or levitating. right? He's not glowing in the dark. right? He's not shiny. He's not wearing sparkly clothes. Like in most, you know, um, stage productions of Jesus' resurrection, you know, Jesus is always like glowing in the dark, eating radiation or something. Um, he does not have a halo, right? In fact, there was nothing that identified him as Jesus. Right? That's why they, they could talk with him and they had no idea who it was. The only one who finally got a clue was, um, was John, uh, that disciple whom Jesus loved, he never names himself in the book, um, but it's John. Uh, he said to Peter, it's the Lord, right? The big, big haul of fish I've been here. Deja vu. This happened to me once before, and it was Jesus. It's the Lord. Uh, uh, and, and I love Simon Peter's reaction. He says, when he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea, while the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards. Great uh, and rather humorous, Titus Peter is so excited to see Jesus. And apparently, uh, fishing is wet, hard labor. He's stripped off his outer garments, uh, working away, and, and he finds out it's Jesus. And he cannot wait to get to Jesus. He wants to make sure he does not miss him. Uh, but he knows that Coming to Jesus is going to be really awkward if he doesn't put some clothes on. So he does the unthinkable. He puts his clothes on and then jumps on the water. <laughs> um, didn't matter to him. Um, so the scene that meets them it really is extraordinary exactly because it is so ordinary. Right? Peter swims to the shore. They follow behind in the boat. And when they get there, here's Jesus sitting by a charcoal fire, roasting fish and warming up bread. It's it's the most common everyday scene you would have seen any day along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Um, And he he meets the much greater you know he he provides the miraculous supply of fish which was cool because they were they caught fish but he meets a much greater need that of being hungry in a very ordinary way. Uh, He doesn't fix them breakfast by a miracle. He's cooking it himself. and, and he's not going to multiply the fish. There's a couple of fish on the fire, we don't know, but there's not enough. So he tells them when they get there, bring, bring the fish you've caught. Bring some so I can add to it. So he's not going to multiply this miracle like he did in feeding the 5,000. He's going to put, cook them breakfast in a very real, normal way. Right? And then finally he says to them, come, have breakfast, eat up. Uh, Jesus is revealing to them that He is there to help them in their time of need. As the rest of Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And Jesus is revealing exactly that to them. He's watching, but He is there to help them whenever they have a need. Um, it's his promise to us as well. And sometimes he will provide for us through extraordinary miracles. right? Sometimes he does uh, abundantly provide in ways we, we cannot imagine or expect. But oftentimes, he takes care of us in a much simpler and less spectacular way. Uh, by his... Uh, But it is always by his own hand and his very personal touch and care. Last thing he reveals. uh, He reveals that he is walking with us. Verse 12 again. Jesus said to them, come, eat breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, and he really is revealing to them how they can relate to him as the resurrected Jesus. Um, he's watching over them. He's caring for them. But he reveals here uh, that, that he is with them. And it's hard to put into those words because it's more. I mean by that more than just that He is with them and we know Jesus is with us. We know His Holy Spirit is poured out. As I read in John, he said He makes His home with us. Um, but it's not just that He's with us, but that He is with us in a certain kind of way. Um, and this, this account pictures what that extraordinary way is. Um, again there's nothing in this account that's out of the ordinary except for the big catch of fish. Uh, and, and as they come up to the shore and they see Jesus, they, it says that none of them dared ask. None of them wondered, who are you? It says they knew who it was. And this time, they didn't need proof. Right? Nobody asked to see the scars in Jesus' hands. Um, uh, he didn't have to walk on water. Uh, they knew who it was. But what's significant here is that uh, even though Jesus had his resurrected, glorified body, it was very human. Right? He was still Jesus. The resurrection, in, in many ways, had not changed Jesus in any way that was obvious to them. Right? Do, you, do you think about Jesus that way as the resurrected Lord? Right? When you think about him risen, do you think about him being just the same as he was before, Or do you think of him somehow being like other than this world? Well, Jesus is trying to reveal to him the very truth that nothing with him has changed. He is the exact Jesus that they knew before the cross. The same Jesus who had been serving them all along, who had fed them on many occasions, and who had served them by washing their feet, who had gone to the cross to die for them, and is still now even here serving them. Right? They're, they're shell-shocked by all this, and the disciples are all kind of lined up on the beach just standing there staring at Jesus cooking fish. And they don't know what to do. And Jesus says, come and eat, and they all just are still standing there, like, Ugh, we don't know what to do, right? And so Jesus takes the fish and bread, and he comes to them, and he serves them. Person to person. Personal touch. And of course, we don't have time to get into the story—a whole other story. But but after breakfast, Jesus is restoring Peter, right? And Peter had denied him three times, and and I think one of the reasons Peter dove into the lake and swam to shore was because he wanted to get this settled with Jesus. And and the wonder is that in the cross, there is forgiveness and grace. There is his, his sin was covered, but Peter still felt uncomfortable, right? And and he comes to this Jesus, and Jesus is there, and he restores that relationship. Three times he asks them, Peter, do you love me? And three times he makes Peter declare his love for him. Right? Kind of three for three. Three denials, three affirmations of his love. Uh, the cross brings grace and forgiveness that covers all of our sins. And even though Jesus is, is risen, you never get away from the cross. Right, It is always there in our midst. So the point of the story, I think, in the end is this. Jesus is revealing himself to them. He is showing them that the resurrection did not change him in any way. He is still the incarnate God-man. Before the cross, Jesus performed many signs and wonders, uh, teaching them and demonstrating to them that he was the Messiah sent from God the Son of God, pointing to His deity. And that was His message and His revelation all up until the cross. But after the resurrection, the one account we get where Jesus is really with them, uh, the significant revelation here is that He's seeking to demonstrate that He's still fully human. Still fully man. A person like us. He did not become something substantially different in his nature as a result of the resurrection. He was the same guy. A friend of sinners who laid down his life for his friends. I don't know about you, but when I think of Jesus now, when I pray to him, when I I imagine Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father on high, my image of him is not this. Right? It's not the Jesus cooking fish and serving bread. It's, it's, um, it's a picture of Jesus who is glowing in the dark. Right? He's somehow the radiance of God's glory. And He's like, like the sun in human form and there's this brilliant light shining out from Him. Anybody have that kind of vision of Jesus? Right? Well, that, that's an apt description of God the Father. That is not a clear description of Jesus. Right? Jesus is still fully... God, fully man. He's in the same body that he had, of course, a resurrected body, a glorified body, but still very much in flesh and blood, still retaining his full human nature. You know, we have this idea that after the resurrection, uh, Jesus returned back to heaven and back to his original state um, as God and uh, you know the whole god part took over so much that there's a very dim shadow of his humanity left right and so we we feel this distance from god that from jesus that he's not like us but what he's revealing to us in this passage is the exact opposite he is still the jesus who is very much like us he still retained fully his humanity and he's sits at the right hand of the Father praying for us, um, interceding for us, cheering for us, watching us, sending his spirit to help us and his angels to watch over us uh, as the God man who understands what we have gone through, who understands. who bears every day the reminder of what it is to be human because he is still in his body. Um, and that's how he wants us to identify with him. That's how he wants us to think of him. He wants us to have a relationship a relationship with him that is real, right? Real. Um, when you pray, when you talk to God... Do you talk to him like you talk to your friend? Or maybe we should put it this way. When you talk to your friend, what would it look like if you talked to them the way you talk to God? Like, would it weird them out? Well, if it weirds them out, then maybe it probably weirds Jesus out as well. It's like, why are you talking to me like that, right? right? He wants to be a friend who is like a brother. Not to diminish his deity, right? Not to take away who he is as the eternal God, creator of the universe right but but the the doctrine of the Incarnation teaches us that he is now fully human, fully fully God. He's retained fully both those natures, and he relates to us through both, so that we can know him personally in a way that he can give us personal care and attention as a brother who cares for us. Let's pray.